0: Welcome to Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. This is the seventh and final episode in conversations about church, God, and the pandemic. Before introducing today's guest, I want to share with you that we will be offering daily Advent devotions beginning on Monday, November 28th. These are found on our other podcast, Open to Explore Devotions. Each day, Monday through Friday, for the four weeks leading up to Christmas, members will share personal stories on the theme, Come, Let Us Walk in the Light of the Lord. Today's conversation is with Paula Hooper. Paula shares about her childhood and her journey with Parkinson's with openness and inspiring insight. Listen as we explore these and other insights regarding the intersections of faith and life. Joining me today is Paula Hooper. Hi, Paula.
1: Hello, Frank.
0: It is really good to be talking with you today. It's not the first conversation we've had. We've had plenty through the years. Countless. (laughs) On countless topics. (laughs) On countless topics. Some of those we won't cover today. Right. For uh, our own safety, I suppose. I think so. You and Charlie have been at First Baptist for a good number of years, haven't you?
1: 1982. We married in 1982.
0: So you've been a part of the church for, is my math right, 40 years? Yes. That's a long time. And. Some of the things that you've done in the church through those 40 years.
1: Um, A lot. You can cover a lot in 40 years, and then in another way, you think, gosh, that was just 40 years. It was a blink of an eye, but when I first came, our anniversary and our joining the church kind of coincide by only a few weeks, but I did adult choir, was early introduced to circle. Taught children's Sunday school after I had we had been in adult Sunday school a couple of years. We started ch- teaching children. Taught in the old, is it the Bird House? Is that what that was called at one time? I don't think it exists anymore. Uh,
0: there were two houses, as I remember. One was gone when I came. There was the Bird House, and the one that was still here uh, in the 80s was the Smith House.
1: Okay, it was the birdhouse I think we were in. Okay. And I, those were, I remember those spring and fall days when we would open those windows and have the children, and they were good memories. And then I progressed on to teaching the four-year-old choir, which was quite a pair of shoes to fill. Yeah. Betty Jane had taught them all those years, and I enjoyed getting another little children. And then we started teaching adults, and we taught the agape class then had the 10 10 class and vacation bible school i remember when we did it the old way yeah you lined up and you marched in and you had the sit- stand up chord and the sit down chord
0: oh yes i can still hear those ringing in my head yeah, and, I
1: and we had a friday quote commencement or picnic slash commencement and i remember there were a few years in a row i'd I directed the Vacation Bible School, and I would count the days until it was over. <laughs> Not because we didn't enjoy the children, but I was always ready for a snafu to happen somewhere. <laughs> I remember the one of the f- members of our church, when she was handing the mantle over to me, we met one day at her house, and she said, now, Paula, when you, any time you take a leadership role, you will be um, criticized. And I said, oh, no, this is Vacation Bible School nobody will be, I don't think anybody will be critical of, you know, anything major. So on day one, person number one who walked through the door let me have it. <laughs> so, oh, no. Over an uh, issue of having adequate nursery care. But um, we did. She just did not realize that. But I thought when, she, when that happened, I thought, yep, she was right. So I took, learned to take heed of good advice then.
0: Yeah, I bet. Oh, uh, what an unfortunate way to, have to get started. You also worked on staff.
1: I did. I did work on staff. I, I forgot that. <laughs> it was only 11 years of my life. I did. I started part time. Uh, well, I guess I started as a volunteer when we had the volunteers to answer the phone. And there was some of the renovation going on. I don't know what campaign that was particularly but we put the secretaries on those long folding tables in the uh, fanning foyer and we answered the phone from there yeah and sometimes if we couldn't you know somebody would want to speak to someone immediately but they were on the phone so we had to dash from the table to the to the office to relay a message but then i went part-time with me in the music ministry and um then I went full time um, as your secretary. Yeah, did that a few years, and then went to the um, senior minister spot and did that for five years. So
0: we had some funny times. We did. Mm-hmm. We shared a lot of laughs. Uh, working in the church office can have a really fun side to it, and we found ways to find some humor. Yes, we did. Most days,
1: <laughs> we did.
0: But it was a real joy to work with you, and I learned a lot from you.
1: Um, and I did you too, Frank. Those were good, good years, and i grateful for them.
0: One of the things that I would like to ask you about is the church tradition that you grew up in. What was the style of church? What was the kind of church? What denomination did you grow up in?
1: Until I was five, we were members of a little Presbyterian church. Uh, Daddy had a 25-acre small little farm in Bogart. And so it was the Bogart Presbyterian Church, which no longer exists. Um, They took it down several years ago. I remember good times with Daddy uh, being at that church, and I remember him teaching me John 3.16, and he couldn't wait till the Sunday to put me up on the pulpit, next to the pulpit there, to say John 3.16, and so when the time was to come, I, did, I didn't move out of the pew, so Daddy literally picked me up, plopped me down. Well,
0: no.
1: And if you've ever watched an episode of Andy Griffith and Barney trying to do the um, preamble to the Constitution <laughs> or the Emancipation Proclamation, <laughs> that was exactly the way it was. Daddy said, all 316. And I just stood there and stared at him and tried to say what he was saying. Then when I got through, he said, didn't you do great? <laughs> But then after that, we moved to Athens, and I was in Chase Street School, and we started going to Prince Avenue. It was convenient. We lived on Sunset Drive, which was the neighborhood right behind what we called Athens General Hospital then, but Athens Piedmont now. And we went to Prince Avenue for a few years until a new minister came in, and they were a little too conservative and too fundamental for my parents, so we... We really church hopped. we never had me- our membership any place long, and I do know that my years at Prince Avenue were probably from when I was six years old until I was a senior in high school. Um, that was the longest day, and my parents were good to see that my sister and I attended, but they did not attend with us, so that oh, was really. That was difficult because every Wednesday night I had nobody to sit with, you know, and I would sit with a friend or her family, but that you still feel like the third wheel and I got to where I would just Go in the bathroom, and the um, there were the stalls in there. And if you open the door, it just had a vac, it had the single bar across the top, so I would swing on it like a monkey, <laughs> just doing you know acrobatics or whatever. And one day, because that was a that was a restaurant that was in kind of a um, unused part of the church on Wednesday night, so I was free to play in there and not eat supper. But one day, a little lady came toddling in there, and I swung out right in front of her. (laughs) And so she said she was going to go tell the preacher. And I thought, oh, but I, I don't think she did. But at any rate, he didn't merit it that important, I think, to get on to me. But church was hard for me because I could not enjoy it. Because for one thing, the fundamentalist doctrine that they taught was very difficult for me as I grew older. One thing I do remember is when I was a child, the building adjacent to the church, the old Y, it was the old girls' Y. I think offices are in there now, the brick building. Uh huh. And in the summer, after Y, which finished I think at twelve thirty, I would get a Yuhu and a pack of crackers. I think Yuhus were five cents, and crackers were ten cents, and I would sit out there and wait for. Her. Daddy to come pick me up and I would look at First Baptist because I was right there and I just I was just kind of in awe of how huge the church was. And I remember asking my dad one time, I said, Daddy, what church is that? And he said, That's First Baptist. He said, It's different than Prince Avenue Baptist, but that's First Baptist. And I said, Will we ever go there? And he says, Oh no, Paul, that's where the big shots go <laughs> So <laughs> I wound up in the in the church of the big shots. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's funny how sometimes churches get designated not so much by the style of worship or the kind of theology in the church, but based on their social status.
1: Exactly. And I had an aunt and uncle who went there and a cousin who was my age. They had one child. And uh, I did actually go to the—that was when Julian Cave was here, and I went a couple of times with them. And they were always the family that, you know— They always had the new cars and they had everybody over at Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter. So they loved First Baptist too. They were. uh, And I asked my uncle, it was Charles Bridges, and I asked him one time, I said, Uncle Charles, and this is when I was still little, I said, Do you go to a big shot church? He said, No, I go to a First Baptist church and I'm proud of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cute. I remember. Learning something about you that really surprised me, partly because I didn't know your background. I knew you as Paula at First Baptist, but I learned that you went to Bob Jones University. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, nice. so I was familiar with Bob Jones, and it was a different kind of college and school, and one of the things that stood out to me was their rules about dating, and you really couldn't date, you couldn't hold hands, or things like that, and that was some of the main things that stood out, and I learned later on there was a lot more to the school than (laughs) just those little rules, but it is really a fundamentalist theological kind of education in school, and so it was very surprising to me. Tell me a little bit about that experience and how you got there.
1: It is most surprising to anybody who you know finds out or I get in conversation with about that, but I went to in 10th grade, there was a lot of upheaval in Clark County, those were the days of um, integration, and it was very difficult. I was at Clark, they call it Clark Middle School now, I guess it was, it was, I don't remember what it was called, it wasn't middle school, junior high, Clark yeah. Junior High. Yeah, so I was there from like 69, 68 to 72, and those were some d- difficult years. And so Athens Academy had already come into being, but during that time, Athens Christian began as a school and it met at the Honeycutt House on the intersection of Millage Avenue and Hancock. Mm-hmm. And so I was a 10th grader who my mom and dad said, you need to go to school in peace, you know, and not not have to be in upheaval where they're not sure, you know, how many people need to go in this class. It seemed like there were teachers that they couldn't even get the class number right at that time because we had so many coming and going and exiting and um, also moving from a county so they could go to the school. So I took the entrance test and there were several, you know, from Clark County that I knew that were taking the test. And I I cried and wailed and just, I did not want to go. I, you know, Of course, I want to go to Clark Central because I'd be coming out of the ninth grade and going to Clark Central. And I was so upset about that. Uh, you know, I, I went through the begging phase and, Mom, please don't let me go to this school. And they said, give it a year. And if you don't like it after a year, then you can go to Clark Central, which I thought was very fair. Um, I, I still didn't want to go, but I had an out, you know. So when I first got to the school, I was very withdrawn. I hung around only the kids that had gone to Athens Christian, one, uh, two of whom were my be- really, really close friends, and they both left. They both deserted me after week two because we had dress checks at Athens Christian. We had hair hair checks if your hair was too long, if you were a boy, too, if your skirt was too short, if you were a girl chapel was required, and we had New Testament study and Old Testament study, and it really put you at it. You had to get on the you know, bandwagon to really stay up with your, all of your academics, being as those are extracurricular, but required. So after that I was in a relationship with someone and we had talked about getting married and he he went through school in 3 years and so that we could do that and I I went to Bob Jones after I had gone to the University of Georgia 2 years. So I was a late almost junior but still still sophomore status when I went to Bob Jones. And my whole existence was for this relationship. Mm. So after a year of, you know, continuing to plan to be together and marry, we had a summer apart, and the summer apart broke, broke us up, and, um, which was a good thing, but that's the reason I went to Bob Jones, and uh, those, I remember my senior year looking at my bed when I made it up because, you know, you had a hall monitor and if your feet weren't on the floor by seven o'clock by seven o'clock in the morning you got a demerit. And so Oh gosh. And then I sneaked a few kisses with my you know, the <laughs> the guy that I was in a relationship with <laughs> and I got the demerit, of course he didn't get anything. But <laughs> I got the demerits. Of course. So, <laughs> yeah, it fits, you know. And I do remember, but I would make up my bed in the morning, and I'd look at it, and it would be like 8 o'clock, and I'd think only 16 more hours, and i get to go to bed. I was just so miserable that senior year. But I did, I kept busy enough that, of course, because your senior year and you're doing your student teaching, and I think that all of that was in a wonderful plan, though, Frank, because as, as much as, as difficult and as lonely as I felt my senior year, I learned to appreciate and love opera, classical music, um, performing arts that I re- really would not have had an appreciation for. I made some dear friends, some of whom I, are gone now, and some of whom I'm not in touch with. But in all of that, I learned, and I've always preached this to my and I and I say the word preach purposefully. Don't don't live your life pleasing others. Mm. Because you've got to you've got to think of self. We're taught sometimes erroneously that to think of self as selfish. You must always think of somebody else, but you can't think of somebody and do somebody well unless you have yourself lined up properly. And unless you've exa- and you, you continually examine your own life and mine is don't be a people pleaser. And I think if you ask anybody in those school, adult Sunday school classes, they'd say. We'll put that on Paula's headstone. Don't <laughs> be a people pleaser.
0: That's good advice.
1: So I turned. We were, I was able to turn sad into okay.
0: That's a lot of the theme of what you've done with your Best Seat in the House essays that you provide.
1: Yeah, and I continue to work on that. As you know, I've not pulled them all together for everybody to see, but that has been um that was born really from Bob Jones on, and and I remember this too. This is something that's always meant so much to me. Um, I have a friend who told me that during she knew my parents, and my parents were good, hardworking parents, and they were they were good salt of the earth people. My mom had some mental illness, and our country does not have the funds nor garner the funds. Or the attention to mental illness, which is rampant. And I think that that will grow worse or mm-hmm. more. as uh, a greater problem as time goes by. But I remember when I, I had to go and be a counselor at church camp for two weeks every summer, I dreaded that along with the old Bible school t- <laughs> paradigm. <laughs> and those two weeks were a long week, but in the middle of them, that weekend in the middle, parents could come, and my parents never came. Oh, and I had a friend whose mother, she brought, you know, she brought her suitcase in that she had packed clean clothes and she had chips and a couple of candy bars. And I just like a, you know, Christmas time in a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, Paula, you know what I found. And she ha- had a suitcase for me. And she said, this is for you. It had your name on it. I don't know who, ga- who brought it. And of course, her name was Libby Parks and. She brought that to me, and I, I will never forget her kindness and goodness to someone that, you know, really was, was hurting but wouldn't say anything.
0: Yeah. What a beautiful thing for her to do.
1: It was, and um, a friend that I was talking to said, I think maybe you had guardian angels around you that were doing things silently in the background that you never knew anything about. And I thought, you know, as the more I thought about that, I could come up with solid instances of where there was somebody watching out for me. I could call them by name, and Libby would, would have been one of them. It made me focus on something I never thought about, and that was that there are people seeing you in need that quietly do something to help you out. And I've always tried to incorporate that in my life and to... To do that, you have to be observant.
0: Yeah, you do. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, uh, one of the things that he mentions often is the encouragement to pay attention. Mm. Wonderful and point. And that's what I hear you saying. It's it's so important to pay attention because when we do, there's evidence of the presence of God around us constantly.
1: There he is. There I- is. I agree with that. I think we miss a lot of heaven along the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes it's because we're trying to do heaven instead of sit still and listen for heaven. so
0: mm. First Baptist is a church that is different theologically than the background you grew up with, which was a more conservative theology and and even conservative in approach to relationships, sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So talk about how you really landed at First Baptist, and that's your home now, and how that's different from the kind of experiences you had as a child and adolescent.
1: You know, um, I'm glad you asked that, because in the mid to late 70s and early 80s, well, no, just the 70s, uh, as far as I was concerned and, and involved with, those were the days of, I believe it was Tim LaHaye and the Left Behind series, and everybody was reading those yeah and so they started having in athens not really pep rallies but they had a specific name for them where they gathered all the youth of all the schools and in my day it was much more homogenous and you know i went to chase street school but so did all of my friends and we had whitehead road and chase street and arrow and alps but we did not have a a lot of schools that we have now so it was not as diversified so that it was easier for them to gather kids together and, ha- and we would have a big I'm going to call it a pep rally for lack of the correct word but they showed one night a, movie, a left behind movie and the minister who brought that who was from a neighboring town he conducted it that night he was the one in charge of the worship hour in quotes and so The movie, I remember like yesterday, because a little girl was boiling, her mother had started boiling hot dogs on top of the stove. And so the little girl, who is about eight, she's ready for a hot dog. So she goes in the kitchen, she says, Mom, and no mom ever answers. And these hot dogs just start boiling away. The water's boiling over the top, of onto the stovetop. top. a little girl is running through the house, Mom, Mom, and Mom is gone. And then in another family, it's a young couple, and you can tell they're probably newlyweds, and she comes out to tell her husband something, and he had been shaving his face with an electric razor, but it was in the sink. Just go, it was plugged in, but he was gone. And then, I mean, it got worse, and at the end, I remember it was, now, before you get home tonight, you might be in a car crash, and it will either paralyze you or kill you, and you will go to hell if you don't accept Jesus tonight and a lot of kids would go up for one thing so the thing would end so (laughs) we could get home (laughs) and another was were kids who were really frightened by that yeah and I was one of those frightened teenagers that I didn't say anything to anybody but it really bothered me in that night I did not sleep a wink so we had a test the next day in 10th grade it was history (laughs) and My teacher was Mr. Agner, and I remember during the test, I looked at the boy to the side of me, and I said, what did you think of that movie last night? And he said, what? And I said, that movie last night, and he said, oh, Paula, do your test. So, okay, I start doing my test, and I look to the boy on the other side of me, and I said, what did you think about it? And he said, I thought it was stupid. (laughs) Well, about that time, Mr. Agner says, Paula, Paula Burgess, please bring your test up here. You have just earned a zero for time. Oh, no. <laughs> So, but after after class, I remember the three of us, the two guys, myself, and Mr. Agner, and he said, "Paula, don't do this. Don't. You, you're going to have to start learning now. Media. You have to question media. This is uh, This is one person's view. Why do you think, you know, God would ordain you to be in a wreck tonight, or?" And I remember thinking, I wish I could have that piece that those boys did. It wasn't a dismissive thing. It was a, they had watched it, they analyzed it, and they thought it was that wasn't the God that they knew or the Christ that they knew. So I battled theology like that for a long time and taught in a Christian school. And the third year of teaching in a Christian school, I did not, I, I left before the end of the year. I had a very difficult time with that school because I could not introduce a book that would be maybe current events because if a swear word was in it, we had to redact that. So I found that very difficult, and, and there were so many things that, and I'm not saying this about all Christian schools, I'm just saying that my experience was that I needed to move on and find what I was trying to seek. I had a general knowledge of faith and love of God, but my love of God came out of duty and out of fear. Mm. And I did learn, I, and I have continued to learn over all the decades, that if my faith is built on fear, I need to change my faith. I need to work on my faith, because naturally, whereas having Parkinson's, you think about your end. You don't always think about your current day, you, because you... You know your days are limited, as are all people, but ours tend to. You look at them in a d- different perspective, and I've thought many times I would be fearful of death. I think had I stayed in that path, and to go and to do something, which is a part of all creation, the cycle is life and death, is a is not a thing to be frightened of, but a thing to know that your your hand is held by your. Your Father in Heaven, when you're doing that, that I did was not taught that, and I had to get beyond that. And I'm so grateful every day that I did, because mm. there could have been the opportunity. That I mean, the conditions where I did not. Yeah. But I came to First Baptist and with Charlie, and I had a, I mean, it was a complete, yeah. <laughs> diametrical turn on that. But I, I began to, see that, I could take a holy book. And God gave me enough sense to know how to listen to him, to interpret that without fear, that it was not a book of fear, but a book of love.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Quite the story and quite the journey.
1: It was quite the journey. I do recall, too, there was an art display, and I think it was on some of the walls. It may have been when they did the uh, Brainy and Foyer, and they had displayed on those panels different artwork, and it was all... Oh, really funky and it was it was not like you know the um oil painting of a boat on the sea or <laughs> it wasn't a glade of trees it was interpretive and i'm not i'm not one to interpret and appreciate the, the gifts that an artist does through that and i thought well, of all places for me trying to figure out <laughs> wacky art is <laughs> right here first baptist
0: You're in the church.
1: And I did. I felt so awestruck by that church. Um, And my Uncle Charles and Aunt, they made me feel right at home. Oh, that's good. So, you know, I don't think I saw one big shot there that night. (laughs) (laughs) They were all the most warm and welcoming people.
0: As you talk about the Bible and God's story of love, what is one of the stories in there or one of the characters that is among your favorite
1: Well, among my favorite is the prodigal son. You know, I I go back in memory and some of my friends when we get together and they'll say, remember when you dated so-and-so for six weeks or you dated so-and-so for two (laughs) months? And I thought, you know, I enjoyed so much the families of the son that I would go out with or whatever, never seriously, but just enjoying a relationship. I loved to go to their home because they had homes that I wanted. You know, the family was all together, and my mother was a nurse at St. Mary's, Old St. Mary's on Millage Avenue, and she had those shifts where you work from seven to no eleven at night till seven in the morning, or seven in the morning to three in the afternoon, and so we were always in a shift where we were missing her at one point or the other. So, uh, my dad used to cook. And it was really bad, bless his heart, but he did it. You know, I learned, I still to this day burn my eggs because <laughs> that's all well. The only thing he knew was hot, wide open, and hot. So. But I remember in those days, their families a lot of times would read Bible stories or they were, you know, they were church oriented. And I enjoyed the Bible stories I heard not only at church, but through the families that I came to know. And I think my favorite of all time is the prodigal son. Mm. And the thing that I love about that is that when the, the younger son admits his ways, knows that he's made mistakes, and says, I will go to my father because he was in a famine time, and he was, afraid, I'm sure, of literally starving to death. And when the father saw him, it, said, it says that he ran to meet him. He threw his arms around him. He hugged him, and he said, Welcome home. This is my beloved son. For somebody to love somebody so much that they run to meet them, Mm. that they throw their arms around them. I love that kind of love, and I'm fortunate in my life. If I ever start having a pity party, and I hate pity parties, (laughs) but if I ever do, I think... I have had that kind of love given to me where somebody loves me and I have to throw their arms around me when they see me, hug my neck, tell me I'm beloved. And I've been gifted, too, to know people that I run to them and I throw my arms around them and I tell them I love them. And to have had that on earth is a blessed thing.
0: It is a blessing, isn't
1: it? It is. It its And you're one of those friends. You and Teresa have always been those friends to the Hoopers.
0: Uh, Well, thanks. The feeling is very mutual.
1: Thank you. I wouldn't run up to you in the office, though, and throw my (laughs) arms (laughs) around. Usually I was hollering about the computer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you had the opportunity to take God to dinner somewhere, Where would you take God to dinner?
1: Wow, what a question. The first thing I'd do if I could, I would go grab John Claypool, even though I know he's gone on to uh, brighter skies. But I would grab John Claypool and Jesus, and I would say, let's go to, oh, there's a roughneck, unrefined, unpolished restaurant in Helen, Georgia, that but it's over the river, and yeah. I would love to eat. And um, I think you know that one of the main people I left out uh, that was Charlie too. I would need Charlie <laughs> to balance out our four. Charlie's always so much fun when we do that because we watch people, especially some of our different people who don't fit into inner tubes quite as easily as <laughs> others, thought, which would be me. <laughs> And um, watched him float down the river, and it was, it was hilarious. But I think, you know, Charlie's my theologian. He has the most healthy perspective on Christianity. And, of course, John Claypool, my all-time favorite, he changed my life in his book, um, The uh, Footsteps of a Fellow. Footsteps fellow, of a
0: Fellow Traveler.
1: Traveler, yeah. I would love an afternoon to do that, Frank.
0: Mm. So, what would your topic of conversation be?
1: Well, one thing would be why can I not get my rear end in the center tube <laughs> to float down the river like everybody else who is passing me? And I must say, Mandy and Charlie one time when everybody was passing me and they were going on down the river, Mandy said, "Mom, it's a thing of buoyancy, <laughs> lift." And, and, and gravity left, you know I did lift to myself up, and I just started scooting right down that river. <laughs> oh, but what I would love to talk to them about is um. Where do where do we go right in the world? I know where we all went wrong, but where do we go right? Mm. I would love to know that.
0: Oh, could I eavesdrop on that conversation?
1: Oh yes, Frank, please do. Oh,
0: I would love to. What a what a great topic. Mm.
1: It would give me some, in these days of COVID and um, rioting and political upheaval and, you know, you, you begin to think, like the story in the Old Testament where I can't remember who it was I had to go what, find one righteous man. Yeah. You wonder is there anybody out there who, who is not crazy anymore? You, you, you just have those moments. Is God anywhere in all this Yeah. Where does he stand? And I do think one thing I've learned, too, is that Christ points us to God. He doesn't, I guess, like in um, Micah 6, you know, it, it simplifies it so much that we walk humbly with our God. We love mercy. I would love to have found him in all of this upheaval we've gone through. I don't think he would say I wasn't there. Yeah. I think he would say I was there, but free will, I gave you that gift too.
0: COVID and the pandemic has been such a marker point Mm -hmm. uh, in our lives. Great challenges that we've faced and people have had to face in all facets of their life. We've also had opportunities and discoveries in the midst of all of that. So I wonder from your perspective, what kind of discoveries did you make? What kind of discoveries did you identify as a result of the pandemic?
1: One thing that's interesting is when you live with a disease, when it's part of you every single day, you have more time to think. And sometimes Parkinson's is interesting in that I have to think even to walk. I have to look at the floor. I have to... Pick out the spot where I'm going to put my foot, and all of this time of thinking, I've thought about for one thing the the career my daughter went in, into. Um, she went into to the healthcare field, and she's at Choa Children's Hospitals of Atlanta, and she works with children with acute pulmonary cardiac disease. And when she sent me a picture of her one day, and she had on the plastic guard, facial guard and she had on the glasses and she had on an hat looking suit and you know, I would say, Mandy, I don't know how you do it. How do you look at a child for one thing and watch that child, you know that they they have no hope for that disease. How do you do that? And you come home and she says, Well mom, you just have to rechannel yourself. You have to know that you have you can only do what you can do. And she said, when, when I get home, she said, from head to toe, I strip off everything I have on me, you know, including my shoes, especially in socks, the suit, the hairband, anything that the children could, could touch. Because she said COVID, on top of working with children who are terminally ill, is about more than you can stand. And she said, when I shed that, I think to her it was like shedding the hard things she deals with during the day and loving family when she's home and putting that in its own compartment, if that makes sense. I also learned that I'm a list maker, and I've learned that if you allow yourself to live in regret, you will, because everybody has regrets. You don't need to go back to when you were in fourth grade and you, you know, poured your friend's chocolate milk down the vent. <laughs> heater vent. I don't know who did that. (laughs) But you don't live in regrets. You move on. And, you know, Parkinson's, you move on. And with death of a loved one, you move on. Because that's what they would want. And Parkinson's is a disease of movement and life is a challenge of movement. You've Mm. got to move on. And that's the thing that we think we can't do sometimes. We cannot pick that foot or that leg back up. Mine feel like they're just in Cement cast sometimes, and you think I can make one step. And in my our bedroom, I have when you turn to go into the into the bedroom, right there before you are pictures of our grandchildren, and they're looking at me in my mind and say, "Come on, Grandma, uh-huh. one more step, one more step."
0: Mm, that's a great band of encouragers.
1: Uh, it is a great band of encouragers. They are, you know, a grandma can't talk without telling at least one story <laughs> and their family goes to smoke rise baptist they live in lawrence when they go to smoke rise and so i met them one day we charlie and i go there fairly fairly often to be at church with them especially when the little girls are singing or andy's singing the choir is doing a special but anyway we were walking down the aisle and layla just broke into this run and she went come on come on look and she there were pamphlets uh, next to the welcome pamphlets in the pews. And there was a woman's picture there, and she was an an older woman, like maybe in her 60s, and she had gray hair. And Layla said, They've got a picture of you right here, Grandma. <laughs> and she was so excited because her grandma was on the yeah. phone. I said, Well, no, that looks like Grandma, but it's not. And She said uh uh-huh, the white hair is she, Grandma. And it, was, it was about a senior adult trip they were taking to a restaurant <laughs> that week. <laughs> but, you know, it's, there are constant things to remind you that um, you're getting older. And you know me, I celebrate my birthdays because I, when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I remember my doctor saying, oh, I have dystonia, which means I don't tremor, but I draw up and go fetal. And he said... I have a patient who has lived with your kind of Parkinson's for 16 years. Well, I've passed that benchmark, so I figure (laughs) I'm all on bonus time. (laughs) So, every birthday outreach, I'm so excited because I made it one more year.
0: That's great. (laughs) I've got a few lightning round questions. Here's the first one What is the most unusual job you've ever had?
1: Cutting and pasting ads at Sears when I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did it all wrong, too, the first two times. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I remember it so well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you would, was that to make flyers and things? Or?
1: Yeah, they, they would photograph it, and then the art designer would take over from, from the things that were on, running on special. But I, when he said, you know, he wanted me to cut the ads, I cut the ads out. And he said, no, Paul, I mean cut. You cut for the page. You, you know, so if I've got garden gardening there, you don't put ladies' shoes. <laughs> 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 I had a lot of terminology to learn. Then, oh, so. But I was just 16, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where is one place... That you've never been that you would like to go to?
1: Rome. Mm. Rome, Italy.
0: Rome, Italy.
1: I love history, and I would just love to just roll around in all that history there.
0: Among all the things and all the changes in technology that you've seen in your lifetime, which one do you think is the most significant?
1: most significant I guess is the internet I'm sure most people would say that the most pleasurable are my headset because I can take my headset and put the most gorgeous music and all can be chaos around me and I'm just wrapped up in still my soul <laughs> or three dog night you know? <laughs> either one I, I just and uh, as I told you my headset is is wireless and so I can dock it, you know, in the kitchen and hear it all over the house and out in the garage, and just never stop my pleasure. So,
0: oh, that's great! Simple pleasures, Simple right? Simple
1: pleasures, that's right.
0: Book, or movie, or streaming show. What would be one you would recommend? Either a book, a movie, or streaming show. A uh,
1: movie would be. It's based on a prayer for Owen Meany. Simon Birch, the movie would be Simon Birch. One of the books would be A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. I advise everybody to have a fictional book that one of the characters becomes a best friend. And if you have a best friend who's fictional, you can have her for life. Um, Mm. The main character in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn is Francie. And she goes through every hard time a child can go through on into her teen years. And she comes out resilient from a family who had absolutely nothing. And she had absolutely no hope. But what little ray of hope she would find, she'd grab onto it. And she she made her life a beautiful thing.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great.
1: And Simon Birch is just, if you haven't seen Simon Birch, you just have to see it. Okay. That's all I can say. You just have to do it.
0: Paula, it has been wonderful to share this conversation with you today.
1: It has me, Frank. I've enjoyed it so much.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. How has Paula's story inspired you? Among her insights that speak to me is the one informed by her life with Parkinson's and the experience of the pandemic. Life is a challenge of movement, and you've got to move on. This is the FBC Athens podcast, Open to Explore, featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life. Remember to check the podcast, Open to Explore Devotions, for daily Advent messages beginning Monday, November 28th.